about where we're going. The doors have just closed. That should give you a hint. <laughs> Nowhere. No, seriously. Uh, 50 minutes or so, uh, mainly from me, but with a couple of happy contributions from Lucy and Catherine, both of whom charge more money for uh, speaking than I do, and they are open to invitations so that you can hear more from them. They made the mistake of sounding good about the Church of England and seeing people become Christians, and I thought we need to hear a little bit more of that. So thank you very much for being willing to be part of this uh, this evening. Uh, there's refreshments served afterwards, and there, are, uh, there is a handout which we can get to you by email if you want the hard copy. There are questions for yourself concerning the subject of evangelism or sharing of the faith. There are questions for PCCs, and there are questions for the wider church. Those people, uh, and some of you are here, who communicate across a wider sphere and have got responsibilities in the diocese and in the national church. They're starters for ten. It's not the whole last word on the subject. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Those of you here with me last night looking at Romans 6 will recognize something again of what happened in the past has a direct bearing to what happens to us in the present. We no longer live for ourselves, we live for him. And the version I remember, and this is my point this evening, for the love of Christ compels us. This particular version has the love of Christ urges us on. My adult educational friends would be quizzing me and saying, what are your outcomes anticipated for this evening? I never handle those conversations particularly well. I would rather blow up a class, classroom in a school or uh, put the school to some other use. Uh, but to be more serious, uh, if you grow closer to Christ or you're more indebted to the people who have shared Christ with you, or you've picked up one tip or skill to help you share that Christ with others, for the love of Christ compels us, urges us on, then the outcomes uh, will be realised in my view. If you want to be a better Christian, nope. If you want to grow a better church, nope. If you want to get money from someone else, nope. <laughs> All these things in terms of evangelism, what should drive us, control us, urge us, compel us, is that he did this for me. And because he did it for me, the people who get that it's for me always recognize it's for others as well. It can never be just for us. Of course, it's important to be a good church leader, to be a better Christian. And if anyone wants to help the Church of England out with money, particularly this congregation, actually, that, that's, a, that's a costly window to fix, okay? <laughs> There's a machine by the door. It doesn't give money out. Just press the buttons and it'll take it from you. And we'll be gr very grateful for each penny. Some other more words of introduction, if I may. Don't confuse evangelism with evangelical. 
pet bugbear of mine. I heard it recently. Oh, this speaker was particularly evangelical. They meant to say particularly evangelistic. I've done a master's validated by an external accredited university. It's got nothing to do with the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, or the Church of England. And scholastically, they know what evangelical means. There's a current spot of bother within the Church of England about who should be called an evangelical. We're not talking about that this evening. We're talking about the process of evangelism originated from the Greek word evangel. God is good. That's how the Bible principally describes him. And so the news about God is therefore always going to be good. And if God so chooses to declare and disclose that news about him which is good to others... This is known, broadly speaking, within the Scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, as evangel. So to evangelize means to share the good news of God with other people. The second word of introduction is theology and autobiography. Those of you wedded to certain theologies, you need to realize this is a personal conviction of mine, that it always goes hand in hand with that person's autobiography. And particularly so, this evening's not all about me, but for me. Someone persuaded me to follow Christ, even though I was determined not to, arguing against him. And as soon as I turned, I found myself arguing for him, invited to speak to people who didn't believe in him, invited to hold the hand of people who were wanting to find faith in him but were struggling, and then further down the track, I befriended those who had this gift of being able to communicate Christ to others and found it was incredibly exciting to see people find faith in Christ. Incredibly exciting. So exciting, in fact, that I decided not to become a vicar. And the Church of England hired me at great expense, even with a dog collar, to travel the length and breadth of the country, speaking the good news of Christ to other people. It was an incredible period of my life for 15 or more years. Occasionally not able to take a diary invitation because it wasn't given me a year in advance. These were very, very exciting times. With my archdeacon here, I somewhat guardedly mention this, but I try not to trouble the senior staff or bishops because I know they have busy diaries and they have a lot on their plate. I got myself into a spot of bother once with the hierarchy or the institution known as the Inland Revenue. I was not filling in my tax form. How can a parochial priest possibly do this number of miles. Got the bishop in. Wrote to the Inland Revenue, yep, he's paid to travel the country. That's why there are 10,000 miles on his clock per annum. I learned a thing or two about speaking to people about Jesus Christ, took many, many people with me, and saw many, many people become Christians. For a number of those years, I was Bishop's Officer for Evangelism within the Diocese of London. 
a little-known report. I don't think it was kept secret, but it was little-known, was that one section of the Diocese of London grew while other dioceses in the country weren't, principally because there was a lot of other things going on, prayer involvement, but because of intentional, focused, evangelistic activity. In some way, shape or form, speaking to people that didn't normally go to church with something in words that they could understand that God is good news for them and enabling them to have accessible ways to find faith. Hey, this is the Church of England. It was packaged up with a lot of other flaff and fluff, let me tell you, but there was a strong strand that we would call people to faith in Christ. Still one of my greatest embarrassments that the bishop I worked with at the time knew that he was good at certain things, but if there was someone to speak to and the audience was large to speak about Christ, I was given the job. Partway through one particular evangelistic address, some 20 minutes in, he'd fallen rapidly asleep, and I could see his wife nudging him vigorously to wake up. Shan't mention his name or his diocese. Southern Nottingham had me for five happy years. Some of you from the parish know I was at Southerminster and involved, and I've got friends here, involved in the murky, interesting business of dust and politics and policy. How you decide what money to allocate where and when. What you asset strip from your bank or from organisations further afield. A strong strand of that work for five years was intentional evangelistic ministry. I found out with my staff team after working in Rochester Diocese for a year after I let, left that the National Church recorded that Sutherland Nottingham Diocese grew by 16%. With all the flaff of numbers going down, people like me are bound to put their hand up and say, if we've seen this work then, how do you cross the boundaries to make it work there? It can be quite difficult to have these conversations. But energetic reports have been issued and promoted by the Church of England, one of which, albeit back in the day, out of five churches, four of them are not growing. This is a national statistic, and one-fifth are. So how do you get the fifth that are growing to translate their energy and their efforts to the four-fifths that aren't? Various experiments have been done on church planting. The research that came out on church planting was that nine out of ten church plants succeeded. I actually think that's pretty good collateral. Nine out of ten. Fresh expressions of the church, the current jargon of the Church of England is mixed ecology. Not just parish, but other ways of communicating the faith with individuals, with parties, with networks, with anything else that you can do on the side that's alive and kicking. Before that became into the narrative, fresh expressions of church were used. Eight out of ten pilot projects or fresh expressions of church succeeded. Again, that's good collateral. 
What I'm trying to suggest to you is that we've got a fifth of churches that are growing, we've got nine out of ten plants that are working, we've got eight out of ten experiments that are growing, and the current excitement about doing things new should be given a hearing. I actually put this date in my diary well before the development day of the diocese kicked off on Saturday, just saying. But it was very interesting that the day was superb, was brilliantly focused, had a relaxed atmosphere, and there was a whole hour dedicated to evangelism. Very, very five simple top tips were given. Great to have Catherine there with me. There's got to be a bishop. It just so happened she was a very good one. And three or four other rank and files like me doing their thing. I'm sure if you've come to an evening like this, you can anticipate the sorts of things that we gave out as top tips. Some of you were there for the whole hour. In summary, they are these. Generate a culture in which the local church is appreciated by the local community so that when you have a culture of invitation and you ask someone from that community to church, you've already got a good stake ship. When you invite someone into a gathering, make sure there's someone there that looks alive in Christ, can speak intelligently about Christ to other people, so they don't just walk out the door in a huff, they walk out better than they came in, hopefully with something of Christ. And then of course you can't just do this in a one-hit wonder on Saturday or Sunday or whenever else it happens, but you should have an intentional lifestyle to be speaking about Christ in conversation. And what wasn't mentioned then that I've always found to be true, it's easier to talk to people about God when first you've talked to God about people. So all of us need to be on five a day, not your bananas and your pears and your prunes, careful with that one, but people you are praying for to find faith in Christ. I'll mention more about my time in Rochester a little bit later on, but we're having great fun here in the Diocese of Sheffield, and uh, I promoted my own parish at the Development Day, saying recently we've had five occasions outside Sundays, outside the occasional offices, where Christ has been preached. I wonder if regular members know which those are. Two, we hijacked someone else's pilot with. Two, we organized ourselves. And one, organized by a Baptist minister who's joined our fraternity to get me and go and speak to their particular neighborhood. I'm keen to find out when the next invitation is coming. If I waited a year for planning, if I put a notice on the sheet, Mark needs people to speak to about Christ, just gather them together and see if we can have a go. The diocese is engaged, and I'm glad Malcolm's here this evening uh, to hear me say this and also to correct some of my errors which might be coming up in a very important conversation which is principally listening to the work of the parishes and for Ecclesaw Deanery on the 22nd of November there is an open gathering here in church. There's a lay leaders meeting beforehand 
and there's various tours and trips around the parish, all to discern what the people of God in this place might be saying by way of help they need, resources they need, to an application to the wider church, the so-called triennium funding. If I may just back up for a moment and I get on to the main point of my talk this evening with eight headings of things I've noticed about evangelism, let me give you my brief take, and it will be a brief take because it was, if it was a longer story, I'd probably lose a job. But the current uh, gold rush of the Church of England to asset strip his, its money to help good evangelistic projects probably could be traced to the report Anecdote to Evidence, published some 10 years ago. I was livid when I asked young Ordinhands, even curates, have they heard about this report? No, it's not taught in theological colleges. Oh dear me. I've given you the website link. This research is, and still is, pretty much definitive. The problem I've got with this is that it was generated by the church commissioners who undergird salaries, who undergird the work of the church. They project ahead and see that the Church of England is on a rapid downward spiral. And so they're saying, how can we invest our money in places that will generate Christians? It's investment to do evangelism. For the love of Christ compels us, for those who have got the money, it's making sure our money gets a good sale of return. I can live with that as long as it goes into something good that is going to sustain churches, not frankly be part of the four-fifths that are out and those that can't be bothered. None of you are here this evening, I'm sure, but you're all up for listening effectively to how churches can grow. The report is deep and nuanced. There's stuff there about urban, there's stuff there about small churches, there's stuff there about social involvement, there's stuff there about rural, and one of the main standout things that saw churches growing, no surprise to me in this, lay, lay, lay. Sounds like a Chinese takeaway, but that was the report in triplicate lay ministry all the way. So I'm delighted to find a diocese that supports focal ministry, that encourages people with gifts and energy to be ministers in their own right and share where they are. It's not always the case that if you involve a clergyman, it's going to grow. What that report says is that clergy step back, encourage lay people to lead, actually lead and take responsibility things actually go a lot better. One of these internable uh, things you have to go to when you want to have a curate, you have to wine and dine at theological college where they got trained and all that jazz. And I went up to Cambridge and it was interesting. I found, oh, this is good. They're assessing people in teams. There was even a booklet written about assessing people in teams, not as individuals, but as teams. So I'm delighted, actually, that Michael Volland has been announced to become a bishop. Because if I've noticed there's one problem happens, if people don't get on with each other, it's not great. So why don't you assess them at an early stage to see how they work together in teams? 
So anecdote to evidence principally suggests that lay people, given initiative and responsibility themselves, can be empowered to grow the church. Eight years ago, that's two years after Anecdote to Evidence was released, they thought, well, we know how the churches are going to grow. Let's asset strip and generate a number of innovative and creative projects to ensure that the national church grows. And our own Diocese of Sheffield have benefited enormously from that. And without giving a brief history, because I've not been so much part of this, but you've got churches that are resource churches. You've employed staff to make sure there's a transition from traditional models of church to enabling lay ministry to happen. Train and support clergy who are transitioning from old ways of doing, doing things into new ways of doing things and generating a culture witness the development day that is encouraging everyone to have a go. The governance has been changed and it's probably swung from interesting projects that look glamorous outside the parochial narrative to probably something that's more priest in parish and parish focused. But we in the diocese get deter determine the shape of it through consultation that Malcolm is running, the running with Alex and others across the diocese. A wee bit of a tease, and I don't want to lose my vicarage or the pension or anything else, but silver and gold have I none. What I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The Church of England does have huge amounts of silver and gold, and there's no guarantee that spending it will mean that any of us can say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So I come back to my starting point again. For the love of Christ compels us that he died for you, he died for others, and united with him in faith and trust, we can experience his new life. Put that together with some decent funding, and I believe, and in fact I've seen churches and people that can come alive. Now I've got eight points to give you now, and this thesis dawned on me shortly after I arrived in this diocese some two and a half years ago. And I wondered if there was a development through the years as these themes of how the church, churches do good, effective witness, how the good news of Christ and his love can be shared with others, how evangelism can happen and work and see a church that grows. Perhaps before I rattle through them all, a couple of caveats again. One diocese had top line and centre, growth, growth, growth. Everywhere's failing, but we're going to grow. We will data mine all that is growing, we'll feed it in, and we will channel people into growth, growth, growth. One bishop tried that for a number of years. The new bishop that comes along gets his brief. The clergy, the lay people, give their vote and say, we just can't take any more. We can't sustain that. We can't do that. You can't drive growth 
probably hard, overstated language, it can easily become idolatrous. And so it's just taken out. Evangelism, sharing Christ with others, is not just about seeing growth. It's being faithful to God's love and leaving the rest with him. So let me give my first point about evangelism. Probably you can sense the period of time as I walk through each of these eight points. So-called, they all begin with H. There you go, something to remember. But I think I've noticed a progression. And in that sense, I thought, I wonder if I'm onto something. It's not going to be a bestseller. There might well be a development. But in summary, just so that you can sense the conclusion before I start, I think we're going to need all of these. But the interplay between all of them is, to my mind, fascinating. And I'm going to illustrate them with examples, and I'm glad for Lucy and Catherine's contributions when they come uh, shortly in a moment. So first of all, then, to the head. Normally, most people think, in terms of evangelism, this person doesn't believe that. I've somehow got to get in their head and enable them to believe that God loves them. The principal precursor of this is rationalism, to take on their mind the sermon, uh, the lecture, the discussion, the apologetic. There is a healthy sense in which the Church of England has always been quite good at this and quite edgy and robust even at the moment. Oxford Diocese are looking seriously about artificial intelligence and how we can debate with that, how that's playing with or messing with our minds or what we need to take seriously. I've certainly done a lot of work with Tom Holland and taking on new atheism and all that Dawkins and his demons after him purport is certainly good head-scratching stuff and I've found members of the congregation wanting to know more about this. But interestingly, of course, we'll know it's not just the conversion of the head, it's the conversion of the heart. If the first presupposition is rationalism, people are rational, the next presupposition, the fluttering or the stirrings of the heart, is subjectivism. Probably unfair to wheel this one in, but one dean mentioned after... I've read a number of heritage and renewal reports about cathedrals in the Church of England because I worked in one of them for five years, uh, initiated the first cathedrals and evangelism conference nationally with Stephen Cottrell. The rest is history, so I read heritage and renewal reports, and one dean said, and it's a very interesting quote because it's got wider transferability, people attend cathedrals for their own therapeutic journey independently of the orthodoxy of the cathedral and what it stands for. In other words, it doesn't matter what's happening in their head. They don't believe the stuff. What they like is the feelings and the emotion and the atmosphere that goes with it. I wouldn't want to take that on, but I could certainly work with it. A little-known report done by Bruce Reed on the dynamics of, re of religion explores the emotional pathway of children and young people through a traditional holiday club week or a week away. 
you begin to get to know each other. Uh, you start to form relationships and attractions and you start to be influenced by some of the teaching. And then at some point there is, dare I say it, an emotional moment of the heart at which you're persuaded and you feel that this affiliation of trust in faith in Christ is yours. Bruce Reed did this particular analysis and charted how your average Anglican feels as they journey through a service of Holy Communion. He adventurously suggests that the most powerful moment is not actually the sermon, it's the point of reception, when your hands are open, when you receive, when you're perhaps most vulnerable and childlike, an emotional childlike state of dependency and vulnerability to receive Christ. Some work has been done on the Alpha Course. Remember, it's not just head, it's the heart. Good practitioners of the Alpha Clause will not miss out the Holy Spirit evening, day or weekend. And if the Spirit so moves, there is often a subjective experience of the heart alongside rationalistic belief. Why do I labour this point so much? This quote I always find fascinating. My head tells me there isn't a God, but my heart wants to believe it. Without emotionally manipulating people, with love, with atmosphere, with the spirit who can tap into or reach the parts that no one else can to create that environment, can lead people to faith in Christ. You're not just winning their heads, you've won their hearts as well. Now, if you remember, uh, believing and belonging quite rapidly got switched around. And those of you in church circles for a number of years will recognize that somehow emotionally we need to help people believe belong, I'm sorry, before they believe. In which case their hearts, their feelings, their acceptance, their belongings will find a resting place and then perhaps something will lodge in their minds. This uh, uh, way of looking at the process of evangelism has actually been helpfully extended with another B before we help people believe, before we can help them to belong, we need to be tangibly and actively blessing our local communities. You bless, you belong, and you believe. I'm really annoyed I missed out on this sheet, uh, a research project that was done three years ago called Growing Good which demonstrates that churches that are actively promoting and blessing and doing good in their local community and be, are being seen to be doing that, not charity with hooks on to get people involved, but actually are seen to be doing it for the love of Christ, this research has shown those churches are growing. Why are we not surprised? Growing good, worth a read. Um, 
Theos think tank did it. That was it, Nick Spencer and his group. So the head, the heart, and the hands. Christians should be active and doing something in their local community. Lucy, give my voice a break and um, do better than I'm doing at the moment. Thank you for doing this. So I was, uh, yeah, a little bit lost in the talk. Um, it's really lovely to be here. I haven't been here since my wedding day, just over four years ago. So that's a nice little memory to have walking in. Um, Mark has asked me to share a little bit on that piece of um, what practical evangelism in my context looks like. And a little bit of background about the context I find myself in at the moment. Um, we are a new church community. We opened the church building two years ago. Um, we've been there about three years. And um, we're in Arbuthorne and Norfolk Park, which are so close but so different um, to this, this area, this community. And um, it is a beautiful place to work. The people are wonderful, and I love them. Um, it's also a very difficult place to work and to live. Um, it's highly underserved. Um, there is a huge lack of opportunity, huge health inequality, which is something I didn't really know about before I lived there, um, huge educational inequality, um, and it's, there's a, basically a lot of people who, um, who have just not been allowed to thrive. And so that's why as a church, we felt called for our mission to be to help to show the love of God through helping local people to thrive. And we divide that into practically, emotionally, and spiritually. We sometimes phrase that um, mind, body, spirit, depending on who we're talking to. Um, but, it, but practically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I'm going to share a little bit about the practically. I've got three examples of people um, who, through different projects we've done, have come to know God or start to know God. And I'd love to share them very quickly. Um, just before I do that, um, something really impacted me that someone said to me on our estate very soon when I started. And this girl who, from the estate said to me that it's really hard to become a consistent part of a community that, that is um, professing love, that talks about a God who loves you, when your whole life has been fight and flight and you've no idea what love even is. And so that has been the foundation for us trying to do everything that we've done. And we're not doing a perfect job at it, but we're, we're giving it a good go. So, um, these three examples... Um, the first example that I wanted to share was, so before we got the church building, we started doing a lot of work outside in the community because it was COVID and that was what everybody did. And um, there was a local pond, a fishing pond that had gone into disrepair. And so we worked with some local people to rejuvenate this pond, to, to bring some life into it. We got the council to fund redevelopment of it and we started some family fishing days there. Um, a very odd thing to be doing with my time. I've never fished in my life still to this day. Um, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't like the idea. Um, but I love running the club. And um, it's been a great way to connect people into the church. We've got to know people in the community really well. But the person I wanted to tell you about is, is um, a wonderful woman who is now president of that um, Friends of the Pond Club. And she, um, she is, lived on the estate for a very long time. She has served the community for a very long time. Um, but she's often felt very trodden down, especially by organisations. She hasn't felt supported or listened to or heard. 
And so it took her a long time to warm up to us as the church and to me as the vicar, um, but she did. And uh, she actually now runs our garden at our church, which is great. But um, she doesn't have a faith that she can articulate. Um, One day, about a year ago, very tragically, her son-in-law passed away, actually on our road. He died in a motorcycle accident. And um, she just turned up at my door and she said, I've no idea why I'm here. I just found myself here. I think I need prayer. So I was so, it was so tragic and sad, but amazing that she, she knew she needed God. And the fact that I could just be there through the relationship I built with her to offer her that space at that time was really important. The second story is about a wonderful woman um, who started coming to church at our um, Easter services a year and a half ago. And she, um, she used to work as a hairdresser, but um, life's been not easy to her. She's had a lot of difficulties, which meant she not only hasn't been able to work, but hasn't been able to do a lot of things. And um, as she got to know God a bit better, as I got to know her better, we were talking about what it meant to her to work. And she said that um, when she was a hairdresser, she felt like she had purpose, and she loved treating people, making people feel special. And so as we were talking about this, we started to develop a project, which we're hoping to start in the new year. So we're opening with her, basically all her idea, I'm just seeing myself as facilitator here, Um, we're starting a social enterprise hair salon um, to help local women get back into employment and to help people like this woman be able to show that um, love to other people and to help make them feel special. Because ultimately... That is a really practical way we can show God's love and a way that originated from the community. It wasn't my idea, it was hers. Um, The third example I want to give is is a slightly frustrating one from my perspective as a vicar, um, but I think one worth sharing. There's this really lovely woman who started coming with her family to our uh, pub tea night. So once a month we put on a pub tea, there's a kids' group, there's a nice big meal, and there's like bingo, usually bingo, because that's what everyone wants. Sometimes a pub quiz or karaoke. And this, woman, this young woman has learning difficulties, and she came with her family, and they started to get into the fold of the church. Um, and we actually now host her group of young adults with learning difficulties as well, which is another wonderful opportunity. Um, and she came to church um, a couple of times in the new year, and I thought, this is great, we're getting a real relationship with this family. And she um, stayed one time after the service to ask for prayer. And she was prayed by two of our prayer team. And um, and that was great. And then I didn't see her for six weeks. And I thought, oh no, someone said the wrong thing. Something's gone wrong. She didn't like the service. My sermon put her off. Whatever, whatever. Like we we would like to worry. And um, six weeks later, she came back. And it was a testimonies week. And she got up to share her testimony. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, what's she going to say? I don't want to hear this. Um, and she stood there and she said, and her mum was crying in the, in the, in the congregation, um, and she said that when she'd been prayed for six weeks ago, she'd been healed of self-harming and hadn't done it since. It's something she'd been struggling with for years. And that coming to church and getting to know God has changed her life and she's telling everyone how being a part of church is the best thing ever. And she talks to God every day. And I, for me, I was like, that's amazing, that's incredible. Why aren't you coming to church? <laughs> Why aren't you here every Sunday? You're telling me it's the best thing ever, but you have to come. But that's just like her life. Life is complicated and difficult. 
But again, it's a beautiful example of she is telling people that God has changed her life. God has changed her life. Church has changed her life. Um, and it, it was, we got to know her through just a really practical thing, a meal in the community. I just quickly want to end on something that's really helped with my thinking around this, especially being a, a girl from Ecclesall, uh, moving on to a, an estate which is totally different from anything I understand. Um, and please bear with me here. It's a bit of a silly analogy, but it's really helped me think about how we can be church in that community. The Church of England, or the church in general, is a little bit like an organisation who a long time ago had a vision to see people connect with words. And we started to produce typewriters to do that. And we sold the best typewriters in the world. Everybody loved our typewriters. And then the sales started to drop off. And we're thinking, oh, why, why are sales dropping off for our typewriters? We know they're the best. We really enjoy using them. Why, why is no one buying them anymore? They're the best way to connect with words. And then we think, well, why, why are sales going down? It must be our advertising's not good enough. We're not pushing these typewriters enough. When actually we forget to stop and think, hang on, are there now other ways to connect with words? What about laptops? What about phones? What about audiobooks? What about myriad? Maybe some people want to go back to pen and paper. There are lots of ways for people to connect with words. And in a similar way, we as a church, when we are called into evangelism, we're not called to advertise or sell, be salesmen for church. We're called, as Mark has already said, to connect people with God, to show them the love of God, the gospel. And then what happens after that can look a million different ways. And that's been really helpful for me. So I just wanted to share it because I thought it might be helpful for you as well. Thank you, Lucy, for grounding some of my theories. So we've done the head, we've done the heart, we've done the hands. The fourth H is how do you hear? Uh, one particularly very busy time of parochial ministry, five or six years ago, I decreed that we would stop all activities. In fact, the year was called the stop year or cellar or pause, and we would wait on the spirit. The review of the year saw probably the most impactful and creative time, and even, ironically, even more activities. So the H is somehow we need to hear what God is saying at this time. You might be sitting here and thinking, well, he's after me to be doing things. There are some churches that are probably just doing too much or might be doing the wrong things. How do we hear, this is the Kairos moment from God, what actually we should be doing at this time. It's a sensitive process. Some people are skilled prophetically at listening to both God and their local community. Catherine, again, made the mistake of talking to me about something really groovy that they were thinking of doing at St. Gabriel's. Thanks, Mark. Um, when I came to faith as a teenager, I was taught that the primary primary and most important way that God speaks to us is through the Bible. And I still believe that to be true. 
But through my faith journey, I've realized that actually God speaks in a number of different ways. And um, at St. Gabriel's um, in Greystones, we've been trying to listen carefully to what God wants us to do for a number of years. And in 2020, we launched our Bless Greystones initiative, which is why I'm wearing our team T-shirt tonight. Um, And that was all designed and, and come up with as a way for us to connect with our community in new ways. Because like many churches that might be represented among us tonight Um, St Gabriel's is a really lovely welcoming church and what we do on a Sunday is brilliant but I think we realise that there's an awful lot of people in our community who wouldn't naturally walk through our doors and how do we connect with them how do we bring the good news of Jesus to them and so we just we realised that we needed to be a bit creative we needed to look for opportunities of how we could serve our community how we could connect with people and build the relationships that enable us to share the good news of Jesus and um, since 2020 We've done a variety of different things. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Some of them have been brilliantly, brilliantly successful, some of them less so, but we keep trying to listen to God and what he might be doing. And the thing that I wanted to share tonight is something um, that occurred to us quite recently and that we're following through on um, in the very near future. Um, it was back in May of this year um, that uh, something happened at uh, the primary school that our kids go to. Nothing hugely dramatic, but what happened resulted in a message from the headmaster to all the parents of why four, five, and six, I think, asking them just to be really um, vigilant with their children and their use of the internet and their use of social media, particularly WhatsApp, because a couple of inappropriate things had happened. Nothing newsworthy, I promise you, but, but enough to make the, the headmaster email the parents say, just be careful, please be watching what your kids are doing, be aware of X, Y, and Z, which I won't go into. But what this resulted in was on some WhatsApp groups that I'm part of, uh, parent WhatsApp groups, um, was a, a huge flurry of messages, a lot of them saying, well, I don't know about this. I don't know how WhatsApp works. I didn't realize they could do that on it. I didn't know people could invite my kids to groups that they haven't been invited to, and I didn't realize this. And, and what the message seemed to come across as overall was, we don't feel equipped to do parenting in a digital age with technology that has only just emerged. You know, we grew up in a different era when none of this was available. And, you know, I remember my first phone had a snake game on it and it was black and white and I could only receive 10 text messages and if I wanted more than that, I had to delete one. Um, So it's a completely different era and I think the idea was that was coming across was that parents today really struggle with the technology and keeping up with it and how do we parent responsibly. And so having read a lot of those messages um, and having been in a position of just praying regularly as as a ministry team and among uh, friends at St. Gabriel's and trying to be receptive to what God was saying to us, I felt really prompted to say, this is an area of need in our community and maybe we have something to offer here. And then it occurred to me, and I'm sure this was completely God's plan, that only a few months before this, I'd been to an event that was put on by Care for the Family, which many of you will be aware of, called Left to Their Own Devices, which was all about um, how to parent in a digital age. Um, And uh, it suddenly, the dots connected up, and I thought, well, actually, I don't have to reinvent the wheel here. There's some really good... um, 
uh, research and material out there that we could offer to our community. I did a bit of research and found out that they have, Care for the Family have since um, putting on that event, produced material that you can run as a one-night course for people in the community. So we now have a, a video that we can use and um, some session notes and things. And we're planning actually to split it into two evening sessions and we're going to run an event just after half ten. Uh, Conveniently, we, we started running a light party in our community for the first time last year. I know some, um, All Saints do a fantastic one here as well. And we did it for the first time in our community last year, and it was really successful. And we thought that, that brought a lot of families in through our doors. We can use that opportunity to promote the uh, parenting courses that we're going to run. And just to join things up again, we thought that might be an opportunity where we could invite the parents to another slightly longer parenting course that we could offer in the new year and all that connects up to our promotion of Alpha and other things that we do in the church but it was just that seed of thought that came from a WhatsApp message from parents um, that prompted in my mind actually this is a real need of our community we don't have the same needs of the community that Lucy's part of but we do have needs and some of them are a little bit hard to see sometimes but when we get those promptings I think it's really important to be listening and I really felt God was saying to us yes this is something that you could do and this is a way to connect with your community to be good news to your community and to um, give yourselves options, uh, opportunities to share uh, the good news of Jesus in other ways through that as well. So, thank you. Catherine, thanks for sharing. Uh, the H is to sensitively listen to God and then uh, have a go at doing something. My next H is holy, albeit with a little bit of a swipe, side swipe at the Church of England again for when it was strapped for cash, most dioceses closed retreat centres and uh, places of spirituality. But actually, there's a renewed call and a sense of holiness emerging in some diocesan cultures, I'm not sure how many, of an active rule of life. That's to say you commit to meet with certain people for a, a degree of time under a certain rule. I still think today the Third Order Franciscan movement draws a significant number of applicants in and I think the latest data shares, says the age range is getting uh, younger. Certain young people are wanting to advocate sexual purity, some as a direct result of a Me Too uh, movement, but it is to say that holiness, probably stoked up by climate justice issues, is back on the agenda today. I'm pleased actually in this particular community, not just for the deanery and the diocese, the Wurlow Spirituality Centre offers something uh, unique to enable that sense of holiness to be generated more. The salt and the light metaphors that Jesus used, if you think about them in their holy purity, are both metaphors and statements that come without words. You're salty, you radiate light, you are holy, you're just like that. To be fair to the Church of England, one of the things Justin Welby did was to advocate young people uh, engaging with a sort of a new monastic movement. And in my last Diocese of Rochester, we actually formed in a really tough 
part of the Medway Towns, an active community of prayer funded from elsewhere. So all is not lost, and if you've never been on a retreat or had a quiet day or afternoon or want to explore the life of prayer, then this is surely one way to sample the holy life set apart for God for the sake of others. There's far too much today, albeit within a certain money set. Sorry if this is going to hurt, but you have retreats that feel like and look like a spa break. Actually, a holy life is a life of sweat and dedication and purity, saying no to things that you can say yes to something else for God. Much of this country was evangelized by holy saints with the rigors from the north. My next age, I'm coming into land, is something of happiness. I keep my eye, as you've guessed, on the latest data and trends, trying to stay up to date. This might, uh, I don't want this to land particularly badly, but this exactly was how it is. Sheffield Diocese is very streamlined, it's very aligned with where it's going, with its plan, with its purpose, because it's been given significant amounts of money that it needs to be accountable for, and we are going for more. It's a very streamlined, targeted way of doing the Church of England. The Church of England has 42 dioceses. They all relate in different ways. The one I came from last didn't work like that at all. But as soon as there was messages from above that you need to be a little bit more organised and streamlined, so we had to, at rapid notice, put together a growth plan for the diocese, even though all the parishes were quite happy doing their own thing, albeit successfully. Muggins was called in to do an evening like this on how to grow your church. I thought to myself, well, we'll do ten points. Now, let's, let's be honest. We've been doing quite well up until this moment. What should I really say? I thought, I sweated, and I got the ten points out. The first one I made to a gathered audience, I let rip into the congregation. The evening went well and uh, I slept well, headed off into my day off, made the mistake of reading the Church Times, which comes out on a Friday, and the latest research had just been given on the sort of leaders that make churches grow. No word of a lie, the top points completely cohered. Well, there we are, sleep well with virtuous smugness, right on the button. Do you know what the top point is? intuitive, intelligent leaders who can create happy communities. In other words, they instinctively know what needs doing. They sense when they go in the room what's wrong. They know instantly what needs to happen and they've got the charisma and ability within their personality profile to make a happy occasion and people that feel good about themselves. That's what makes churches grow. Find yourself a vicar like that. Malcolm might want to shut his ears for this, but the last uh, round of uh, vacancies in this deanery was met with a ripple of laughter when I said, well, what sort of incumbent do you really want? We want someone young, with a family, and with independent means, please. Just let, well, let us have one. 
Actually, the research has shown that churches grow when you have leaders in their 40s. The main explanation is energy and vigour. Churches also grow when you have leaders in their 60s. The main explanation is they just don't care anymore. They're just going to go for it. And the other research that's shown, women in leadership grow churches. The main reason given, they're naturally more collaborative and relational than men. Oh dear. I can't change the personality of any Christian leader here, but I can suggest if you're a regular member of the congregation, if you're a misery guts, or you don't make your vicar's life happy, or you don't contribute any sense of joy and happiness to your local congregation, you personally are responsible for the decline of the Church of England. And Almighty God will look at you with searing eyes and say, it's your fault. Cheer up. Jesus died for you. He rose again for you. Happiness. Nearly there. The last but one, hope. H is hope. Rapidly emergent from the brutality of the pandemic. Those that couldn't cope, really couldn't cope. Those that worried, worried even more. Those that were fearful just didn't go out. If they were hit, they went down. But those that said, we can make a plan, this is not going to kill us, we will grow through this, we will be alright, we will help other people, those with that hopeful attitude tended to survive. Across most mission agencies and all the narratives that were out there in the pandemic, hope was the consistent one. My final one, H, debted to Bishop Peter, I think has read this probably with greater attention to detail than I have, but Miroslav Wolf uh, co-authored with Lintz The Home of God. Perhaps weak on application, but what this latest, might not be a bestseller read, does is to demonstrate that we're not looking at Christianity just for you as an individual, as a ticket to heaven. But God's vision for us is to come into our midst and transform not just our lives, but the community and the world and the creation around. God so loved the whole world. It's his home. Jesus came and tabernacled with us. And this brilliant theological narrative takes on all the ethical justice issues, albeit not so strong on the identity perplexity, but in lots of other areas it demonstrates with great clarity virtually every page of scripture says that God wants to come to his world. That's all the Bible is saying. It's a big picture and a big vision for evangelism. I've been privileged uh, to see communities where domestic abuse has gone down. I've been privileged to be in a church where members of the doctor's local surgery send their patients to church to help them feel better about themselves. I haven't hit the press because I've prayed with people in the surgeries. Other people are sending them our way because they sent something of hope 
happiness and holiness happens, not because of anything any one individual's done, but that God in Christ says, I love you, and I want people to talk about that away from these doors, and the rest is for God to bless. Uh, Thank you for listening to this. You can probably sense I could go on for a lot longer, but we will have a refreshment break now. And if you need to go, just please just uh, enjoy the rest of the evening with our love and our prayers. Uh, There are some handouts here with questions for yourselves, your PCC, and the wider church. I might not go into plenary. If I'm persuaded, I will gather you back. But please just engage with the speakers uh, personally as you feel appropriate. And perhaps you'd like to enjoy refreshments and conversation uh, with each other. I failed to mention, forgive me, the Darson community of evangelists. I think there are some 70 or 80 focal ministers in the diocese. There are now also some 60 members of the community of evangelists out for hire through John Hibbard to speak at various community events. And I think uh, Barry's here this evening. Where is the mission happening currently? Edenthorpe, Doncaster, so there's, there's been a mission there recently. We've just done one in Bentley a while back with Sally, and there have been other happenings also. So do remember that, details of the community evangelists on this resource, although we can email it to you. Roland, are you happy to um, close us with a prayer and then do enjoy your refreshments and conversation? Thank you personally for me for coming again. I actually wanted to offer a moment of silence that I hope through this evening has been a lot of content, hasn't there? Um, I've certainly had lots of thoughts. Um, Maybe in this moment you give over to God. Has one point stuck out to you? Has he enlivened an idea in you? Are you going to commit to having a conversation with someone in your church? Um, It's all right if you write a message to yourself on your phone in this moment, but I wanted to allow a few moments of quiet uh, where you commit this moment to God, where you say, God, have you spoken to me? What will you do with this moment? So I'm just going to hold this moment in quiet. Lord God, we give thanks that you are at work in the churches that we represent. We pray for your enlivening spirit for each of our churches. We pray that you would be drawing people to yourselves through our communities. We ask for your blessing in this work. We'll close our time together with that same prayer that we heard at the beginning. Almighty God, you called your church to bear witness that you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself. Help us to proclaim the good news of your love, that all who hear it may be drawn to you through him who was lifted up on the cross and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for Mark. Shall we give him a round of applause? That must have been a fair amount of work. And do stay around. Uh, refreshments in the welcome area. Do chat to various people. You're welcome to stay.